Politics, Violence and Propaganda. What an awful mix. Welcome, mere mortalites, to another round of the Mere Mortal Book Reviews. You do have Chiron here today on the 11th of the 1st, 2024, 11th of January, live, as always, with a book review. So this is the book reviews channel for those who want to dive deep into the books that they're reading or perhaps are yet to read and extract some of the juicy themes, look at perhaps some things that you might not have realized, some stuff under the surface, some things to think about. And I generally pick books that have uh, got a bit of time on them, at least 10 years, so that we can uh, have seen what's been vetted. And um, I'm actually next week going to be talking about some books that I've rejected recently. So stay tuned for that one as well. Today, I do have for you Manufacturing Consent by Edward S. Herman and Noam Chomsky. So two new names onto the book reviews channel. This would be pretty fun. So this book was published in 1988. It's relatively dense and thick. It's 400 pages in total with about 100 pages of those being notes and appendices. And the actual writing itself on the pages is it, it's pretty thick. <laughs> it takes it takes a, a fair bit of going to get through. I'd say it took me 10 hours probably in total to get through all of this, which is also going to be why next week there we won't have the, the classic book review because uh, I'm just behind on my reading. This one took so, so long to, to really get through. So what was my, I suppose, initial motivation reading for this, my initial impression as well? Well, first of all, the title is great. I really actually love the title, Manufacturing Consent, just screams out to me something interesting. The subtitle, on the other hand, The Political Economy of the Mass Media, less interesting. When it's got politics in name, uh, it's not so much, but I was drawn into this book because I did want to know more about, I suppose, the mass media and especially because this is an older book and I wanted to kind of compare how mass media was was compared, let's say, 35 years ago compared to how it is nowadays. So that was my my real reasonings for for jumping into this. The I'd heard of uh, Noam Chomsky before. If you're into language learning, you probably have known him more for his linguistic theories. So I knew about him, but I didn't particularly, and I, I knew he was a somewhat political character, but I didn't really know what to expect from from the book it, itself. So initially the book gets into what it states, which was talking about mass media and propaganda and, and um, how the, the and, and when they're talking about mass media, remember this is in the context of 1988. So it's typically talking about newspapers and radio. Those are the, the two main ones that are, it, it, it gets into. And in particular, newspapers in this book, I would say, is, is what is referenced the most. Uh, and so it gets into what it states and it doesn't take too long for it to point out the grossness that you can kind of see with the revolving between people and working in the, in the government, getting into newspapers and and, and the the political, you know, mass media, that sort of thing, and then vice versa. So you see the revolving door, which is a little bit gross. Uh, it talks about the <clears throat> just other aspects of of how information is getting fed, and it's got these five points, which I'll get on too soon. That's the first tenth of the book, the thirty pages or something that that starts at the uh, yeah thirty four thirty five pages in particular. Then it gets into what I would describe as something completely different from what I was expecting from this book. So uh, just know the, the first 30 pages is very different from the, the next, uh, you know, 270 or something like that. So let's jump onto the, 
the the plot and, and the style, I guess. So what we really come across here is that it it's an assertion. It's a, it asserts that mass uh, the American mass media, so in particular this is focusing on the United States, uh, is propaganda, and it gives gives a list of reasons why this occurs. Once again, I'll get onto that soon. Then sets about proving this by comparing the treatment of very similar stories um, in in third world of murder in third world countries and how it treats these stories differently depending on whether they are worthy or unworthy victims. Uh, it talks about the uh, election le- legitimate or delegitimate perhaps uh, of various different countries in Central America during this kind of time period that it's looking at, which was in particular Nicaragua, El Salvador, and Guatemala. Then it gets onto a rather ridiculous spy and ass- assassination plot of Pope John Paul II, I believe, uh, and then ends up with uh, a lot of coverage of the Vietnam War and global Indo-Chinese um, politics of that time in Laos and Cambodia and um, Indonesia and things like this. So these comprise the seven chapters and then it's got some conclusions as well. So the chapters are kind of what I was talking about there, worthy and unworthy victims, legitimizing versus meaningless third world elections, uh, the KGB Bulgarian plot to kill the Pope, free market disinformation as news, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, What is actually contained within the book, there's a little tiny bit of statistics on some of these initial pages where it's doing comparison and um, looking at things like that. But it is mostly quotes and direct linkages, which is why the notes section at the end is, is so big it's it's got hundreds of of notes and and um pointing bits and and references so it is well researched for sure the style is very sardonic if you don't know what that is uh that basically means it's really grimly mocking and satirical uh, so and and has this kind of uh yeah very very style where it's like pointing out and it's and it's uh if, if you were to take it literally, you'd be like, oh, wait, why, why are they supporting what they're saying here? But it, no, it's, it's obviously satirical and, and meant to be sarcastic. So uh, it has a detached tone. So there's very little pronouns used in it. So there's not like we think this is happening or he said this was happening. It's usually using actual people's names and saying and it's and it's very assertive. It's assertions after assertion after assertion that, that comes through here. Uh, and it relies on those extensive notes. So I'll give you a little taste here of how it's pretty good at pointing out hypocrisy uh, for very similar events as we find out here on page 32. Reports of the abuses of worthy victims not only pass through the filters, they may also become the basis of sustained propaganda campaigns. If the government or corporate community and the media feel that a story is useful as well as dramatic, They focus on it intensively and use it to enlighten the public. This was true, for example, of the shooting down by the Soviets of the Korean airliner Cal 007 in early September 1983, which permitted an extended campaign of denigration of an official enemy and greatly advanced Reagan administration arms plans. As Bernard Gortzman noted complacently in the New York Times of August 31, 1984, U.S. officials, quote, assert that the worldwide criticism of the Soviet handling of the crisis has strengthened the United States in its relations with Moscow, end quote. In sharp contrast, the shooting down by Israel of a Libyan civilian airliner in February 1973 led to no outcry in the West, no denunciations for cold-blooded murder, and no boycott. 
This difference in treatment was explained by the New York Times precisely on the grounds of utility. No useful purpose is served by an acrimonious debate over the assignment of blame for the downing of a Libyan airliner in the Sinai Peninsula last week. End quote. There was a very useful purpose served by focusing on the Soviet act, and a massive propaganda campaign ensued. Yeah, so that's that gives you a pretty decent look at how two very similar things, you know, airplane crashes caused with an actual, well, crashes, uh, bombings or, or rocketeering, I don't know how you'd actually call it, attacks, and how the, the media would treat it differently depending on if they were allies or not allies. So it's very, it's like, okay, well, we can see how uh, the, the media is, is very much biased in terms of like if, if this is, uh, a country where we're politically linked with, we're going to treat it this story very differently, and perhaps the story will still get reported, but the wording will change. And there's a there's a term used for how you can change the the wording of a very similar event of like you know the the man was um, desperately thirsty for water which had been withheld from him to um, the crazed man was dangerous uh, due to uh, reasons of, uh, you know, confining for his own safety or something like that. So you can say like, oh, you know, it's a similar event, but it's just the way you change the wording can change actually how it comes across. So we're going to jump now onto, I suppose, the the main section, what are the, the themes that we've got out from this? And we'll start off with like the actual model of the propaganda because this is what I thought the book was about, and what I actually found somewhat useful in the in the first uh, you know first tenth of the book. So once again, this is only used for a uh, North American USA context, uh, and it's not for obvious and direct governmental meddling in a in in the media system, which is maybe something more like Pravda that you'd you'd find in the um, USSR slash Russia, I'm not really sure um, when that time period was, or even for government-sponsored media, which you can find in like the BBC in the UK or here in Australia, the ABC, the Australian Broadcasting Company. So it's not particularly related to that. This is meant to encompass the mass media, which is, uh, you know, democratically, and I'm just chucking out some words here, meant to be distributed, meant to be uh, independent, free thought. Um, you know, the, these the the type of places like the New York Times and things like that would, which would say we are independent and we're, you know, proud of that and we get to the truth of the matter, that sort of thing. So there was five things that he brings up uh, or they bring up. One was the size of the corporations and they were saying how the, the overall entities which own these media companies are very centralized and then there's only a very a small handful of them so they can actually be influenced by the government by putting regulations in, down and um into that small independent newspapers tend to just get filtered into this chain of big of being owned by these big kind of conglomerations the other one was the advertising uh relying on advertising for funding so if we can obviously see with this one where it's uh yeah it's it's very much about the <clears throat> the the model requiring selling of newspapers and so you got to be a bit more clickbaity and so then you got to um, there's, there's all sorts of problems with that probably better off going to the value for value show that i do to, to be honest if you want to know more about that there's the reliance on government or expert sources so they 
actually very heavily reliant on what the government tells them um, and report that as fact and don't question it as much as the authors of this book would, would probably like them to. There is the flack. So this is what is basically known as negative feedback. And so uh, this is where you'd get think tanks and things complaining to advertisers directly about, oh, you know, this, the, um, that this journal, this newspaper, whatever said this, and uh, you're advertising against this. How can you support such outrageous claims and things like this? And so pulling the funding and hurting them economically via that way or via lawsuits uh, is the other way. And then the other was this big anti-communist ideology, which was uh, driving the narrative in back in the 1970s, 80s, when this book was really focusing on, uh, even before that, I suppose, the 1950s. And <clears throat> and nowadays, Noam Chomsky would say it's like the war on terror is is the narrative. So that's the the basic propaganda model they come up with. Then I suppose like the rest of the book is completely, oh, it, I guess it's trying to, to put a, a nice positive spin on it, it's trying to prove that the propaganda model is real. And so then it goes into these uh, different various aspects of that, where whether it be the Vietnam War, whether it be looking at this kind of Pope assassination attempt, whether it be looking at victims of murderings in Guatemala and comparing that to like a, a, a Polish priest who got murdered and comparing that to priests in Nicaragua or El Salvador or places like that. Uh, and so I suppose like what I got from this book was really the main theme is it's it's all about motive. And so I think it's kind of OK to be wrong or misled by a fact or a statement, you know, an individual type of piece of data that you've got in uh, because you could be using second or third hand info for this. You can't verify, obviously, everything that's going on in the world. So, uh, you know, this is happens to me all the time. I'm sure it happens to to everyone all the time. But an intense coordinated interpretation of something that is wrong uh, in, in the sense that it is unfair and that the media is showing things in a very certain context and that it's probably not that reflective of reality. Uh, that does definitely seem to stray into propaganda. And I think this book pretty much proved that. Um, so... When you get to it, the motive, like what are these journalists really trying to do? Are they trying to uncover the truth in the most unbiased possible light, which is typically what they'll say for the, the newspapers? That's, that's what they'll say. Or are they looking at the bank balance and, you know, what is the purpose of the article in the newspaper? Is it, is it to prove, is it to showcase really, truly deeply like this is what objectively happened or are there ulterior motives? And usually you'd say, okay, there's probably ulterior motives for, for the vast bulk of what's going on. However, is the same mistake of analysis being done by Chomsky and Herman here? And are they trying to show propaganda or do they have another motive themselves? And I don't think it's quite acceptable to say uh, this is what they really meant or the you know these newspapers were actually doing this um, because... You don't know, like this is putting words into other people's mouths and it's okay to look at other people's motives and sure in the, you know, criminal justice system, people lie all the time because they don't want to get in trouble or they lie because they have a purpose of what they're trying to do, something differently and maybe it's not that great, maybe it's morally a little bit iffy, you know, there's all sorts of reasons why people will lie. Um, so it's worth questioning, um, but 
I think you probably need some strong caveats as to like, this is a guess. Whereas this book was very much, this is what they were trying to do. They, they were showing it in this light because of this reason. Um, and so, you know, is this whole propaganda theory a guess as to what the New York Times, Time, CBS, Washington Post, et al., are all actually trying to do. And we can see a little bit of this assertion here on this page uh, 154, which is talking about that um, guy who tried to murder the, the Pope. In sum, it is highly probable that Adgo was offered a deal to talk and that it was made clear to him that the people with power over his well-being wanted him to implicate the Bulgarians and the Soviet Union in the assassination attempt. He had access to the SHK model even before he confessed. His confession was therefore suspect from the start, and a, quote, alternative model of inducement pressure coaching was plausible and relevant from the ACTA's first implication of Bulgarians. This model became more cogent over time as ACTA retracted strategic claims and as no confirming evidence of a Bulgarian connection was produced. By the same token, the SHK model, implausible from the beginning, became even less tenable. So there are these just aspects where they're, they're saying like, okay, this guy came up with this for this reason and is contradicting what he himself said. Now, the guy himself, Agsa, however you pronounce it, was, seemed like a very contradictory guy and was coming up with contradictory statements. And I think it is somewhat reasonable after the, the whole evidence of what they presented here to go, okay, there is a likelihood that he was you know, perhaps influenced while he was in prison, perhaps tortured, perhaps, you know, there's all these sort of things that you could come up with as to why he would start blaming the, the Bulgarians um, for, for his reason for trying to kill the Pope, which had this long convoluted stream of it basically being like the Soviets are trying to, you know, influence world politics by murdering the Pope, this sort of deal, which did seem a, a bit far-fetched. Uh, the question, I guess, that comes up was just how <laughs> how how confident are they? I would love to know their confidence level of, yeah, like this was this guy's motive for, for killing the Pope. This is the reason. Because just the way that they come across and, and say it in, in places like here, uh, it it does come across as they're, they're like 100%. This is this is the reason why. Whereas I think when you're you're trying to come up with reasons as to why people do things unless like you know the dude and you're right there with them it there's just a lot of this kind of real solid assertions and it's them drawing points from from here and there and going okay we're connecting the dots and i just don't see it that much different from the new york times doing the same thing they would argue oh there's this big conglomeration coming down but then i'm like well well, maybe you're doing the same with this very book. You know, the book publishing industry of mass media is is squashing you down and filtering you into into this thing. And maybe you don't even realize what's happening, Mister Mister Chomsky and Herman. But this, yeah, there's there's a lot of that coming on. Um, and so, look, I'll, I'll add this as well here that you do seem to need that mindset of questioning everything if you're to be a decent journalist or perhaps even a decent author in this case. And I'm not really great at that. I generally tend to pay, take people at face value. So maybe this is largely out of my depth when it comes to the analysis of all of these things. So I'm willing to to kind of concede the point there and be like, okay, you know, maybe maybe I'm just a little bit off base with these things and I'm not the best person to analyze this. 
Let's jump onto the authors, some extra details perhaps of this book. So there's dual authors. Uh, you'll see um, Edward S. Herman on the left and then Noam Chomsky on the right here. And they, I'd never actually heard of uh, Herman before. Both were professors who somewhat gained prominence for their criticism of the Vietnam War back in the, I'm going to say, 1970s when that was really happening, perhaps even the 60s. Uh, and this book was their most noteworthy, which I didn't really know about. So this was the the thing that kind of shot them to fame, I guess, if, if you want to call it that. Uh, and then I didn't know that coming into that. And I'm rather surprised because the the book itself, I didn't have a great experience reading it. And I'll, I'll maybe save that for the summary, but um, it's it's kind of esoteric as well, like talking about political economy of the mass media and propaganda. Maybe it was just more popular back in the time, but I'm trying to imagine a book like this coming out. I suppose the the equivalent nowadays would be like a book on misinformation or something like that. If that came out, that that would probably be somewhat popular. Uh, so yeah, that's uh, just a little interesting thing. I suppose it's outside the scope of this book. It, it's outside of the scope of what I thought this book would be about, but the book was all about politics basically. <laughs> and it was, you know, really getting to the heart of what is ethical. So. For me, um, violence and coercion uh, are the bedrock no-nos to be avoided. That's just my personal, you know, ethics uh, that I've I've had for for a fairly long time. Uh, and what they they kind of proved in this book was that the U.S. was about ensuring anti-communism in general. That was that was kind of like the U.S. what they were doing throughout this whole period. And so that was why that of the kind of five pillars of the of the propaganda model that was seemed to be the strongest one uh and you know why why were they so anti-communist well the the reason was presumably that it was uh because communism cur- curtailed freedom and and was very aggressive like it's an aggressive uh political ideology and it's spreading across the world we need to stop it because it's going to cause more damage and more anger and more um suffering to people around the world so it's like okay well yeah, sure. If, if if you want to stop suffering and aggression and, and bad things, uh, I'm I'm kind of on board with that. How are you going to do that? Uh, how's the best way to oppose that? Uh, well, apparently it was through violence and coercion, which is like, oh, okay. All right. Well, now you've crossed my, my ethical boundary point. So we're going to jump onto page 210 here and Cole's going to read out a uh, little snippet of, of how they tried to um, stop aggression and, and things like this. When the United States extended the war in early 1965 to try to salvage its position in the South, the media continued to offer total support in accordance with, quote, the guiding principle of American foreign policy since 1945, end quote. As outlined by the distinguished liberal commentator of the New York Times, James Reston, that no state shall use military force or the threat of military force to achieve its political objectives. And the companion of this principle has been that the United States would use its influence and its power when necessary and where it could be effective against any state that defied this principle, which was, quote, at stake in Vietnam, where, quote, the United States is now challenging the communist effort to seek power by the more cunning technique of military subversion. In the Orwellian world of American journalism, the attempt to seek a political settlement by peaceful means is the use of, quote, military force. And the use of military force by the United States to block a political settlement is a noble action in defense of the, quote, guiding principle that the use of military force is illegitimate 
The United States then proceeded to fight a long and brutal war to try to achieve its objectives in Vietnam, demolishing much of Indochina in the process and leaving a legacy that may never be overcome. Yes, the guiding force of uh, (laughs) the use of military force only used for the guiding principle that military force is bad. It's kind of what I've written down here, which is that paradoxical. I'm I'm kind of fascinated by paradox, but this is where it gets into this really gross aspect where it's obviously got tremendously bad outcomes of, okay, we're going to basically destroy Vietnam to save Vietnam. And there's actually a lot of very, the word choices in this book were interesting because it's a book about newspapers and and articles and how things are shaped and how words and language are, are used. Even though it doesn't really use that kind of context, that's the the kind of view, a part of the lens that I, I read a lot of what was happening in here. And so you see in in these media, those really strategic words like aggression was only ever used when it was related to the communists. Obviously, you're not going to talk about American aggression in in, um, in Vietnam because we're the good guys, right? And so um, there's sometimes sneaky with it uh, and strategic with it. And then there's other times where things just slip through the cracks. Like there's this one quote where it was a, uh, a general in the, the, or a colonel in the U S army. And he said, we had to destroy the town to save it. And it's like, okay, well, can, can we not see what's going on here? Where, <laughs> you know, you, that, that's, uh, that's the, now you might be able, you could probably, he would probably probably say something like, oh, but this is for triage reasons, right? Or, you know, that it's for the greater good type of um, uh, decisions. But there was just a lot of examples in this book of how kind of hypocritical the US was. Uh, Imposing its will by violence was uh, another little quote that I took from here, which was, does seem to be how the the US were liking to act. And um, the book is not afraid at calling out people mindless or hypocritical. So it's got some sting itself. There's a lot of uh, references into the book where it's calling out individual journalists and saying like they were wrong, they were doing this. And, you know, using there was just a lot of strong language used throughout this book. And, you know, for some that's necessary for some things. You know, the Vietnam War and war in general is, is really is truly awful. And the it it should be called out that people are bad when when they're making war but that didn't really happen with the us and it it always seemed to be like it was just a strategic decision you know it was a strategic error to go to vietnam and put all these troops here and you know basically decimate the country um but so a lot of the book was it was political in this sense where i don't think it was really talking about the media that much it was them complaining about vietnam which I'm I'm on board with like the you know <laughs> look I'll jump I'll jump onto my summary because I think this will um this will help to explain <clears throat> it so uh, it's hard to say that I found this book useful or not um, initially I thought I would be learning about the mechanisms of media but I ended up learning more about history and it was a very one-sided history of, of at that it was their interpretation of these historical events um, in, in Indochina in Central America in you know these you know the killing of attempted assassination of the pope things like this um personally my views were they're pretty close to what they they were expanding in this book which is war is bad coercion is bad um and that uh the you know the use of aggression and, and war is 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 a bad thing where it probably differs is they're probably really into politics and i'm not 
I'm, I find politics extremely boring. I find it stupid. I find it useless, to be honest, and concentrating on it is, is not helpful. Um, and so there was way too much politics in this, both for my like, both of governments and the author's personal inclinations, which were rather vitriolic. There was a, yeah, it was a, it was a book where, you know, this book made me sad, angry, depressed, distressed, and disgusted, all in equal measures. Uh, I didn't enjoy reading this. Um, you know, part of that is because of what I was reading about, the, the topics of war and people dying and bombings is, is not inherently joyful to read about. Uh, part of that was also because I don't think much has changed. The, the US was still jumping into wars across the world. And look, uh, you know, Australia here, an Australian, we send our troops elsewhere as well, which I also find equally disgusting. Um, so there's a lot of things like capping that. And I, I think the mass media in general is still skewing information, which is why I don't read the news or follow <laughs> any of those, those things like that, because I, I, I find that, you know, I find this stuff is still real. I find this stuff is, is still how the mass media behaves and, and presents very skewed. It's more propaganda than I think um, uh, objective fact. So overall, it's hard to say. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give it like a pretty kind of bad rating because it didn't really get into what I thought it would be about, which is the mechanisms of propaganda and mass media. It more set about trying to prove that, which I, I found excessive. I don't, I don't think they really needed to get into it as, as much. Um, so if it was, it was a, if, if this was reversed and it was like the title was the political economy of the mass media and then manufacturing consent, then I probably would have been like, okay, that's the book that I was expecting. But instead I got the opposite, which was 90% politics and 10% about actually how media behaves and operates and why it it has the structure it does. So Manufacturing Consent by Edward S. Herman and Noam Chomsky, I don't know, like a five out of 10. I, I got to say, like, I didn't enjoy reading this. It was somewhat interesting and useful, but at, now that I've finished the book, I'm like, damn, that was that was a bit heavy. And I, I don't think I really got as much from this as I, as I thought I would. Pay me some similar books, recommendations that people would find helpful. Um, look, the closest I've read is Secrets, a memoir of the uh, of the Vietnam War and the Pentagon Papers by Daniel Ellsberg. Uh, that was a while ago that I read that book. I think that was more interesting because it was an individual guy and I had that aspect of being a whistleblower and him finding out about, oh, okay, like these are some pretty nasty things that are going on here and the, the truth about the war is being kind of distorted by the media and then his own you know legal battles and things like that i i would much prefer reading that again than i would to, to reading this book again for sure uh and the pro but i've never reviewed that on this channel and the closest i've reviewed on this would probably be something like merchants of doubt by um uh i've forgotten their name noeski or something like that um there was there was two authors for that one uh and that one was uh, really related to once again kind of like how media and scientists and experts would distort truth and facts to suit their own agenda which i think is somewhat similar to what's going on here um probably better just to read more herman and chomsky they've put out a lot of books they're very vocal about their politics and things like that so if you want more of that you know dive into them uh, and if you want a modern day version of that in a podcast form, probably No Agenda is the is the the place to go with um, Adam Curry and John C. Dvorak because uh, yeah, you'll they they deconstruct media, so they're they're pretty good at 
this this sort of propaganda leaning into all these sorts of things. Whew. All right, let's jump into something that's a little bit more fun, the Boostergram Lounge. So this is the section of the show where I thank some people who have helped to support the show, um, to have um, contributed in, in some sort of way back to the podcast. And I do actually have a, a Boostergram here, which is really exciting and fun. I love getting these. So this was a uh, from D's Laughs. And he said, solo review, thousand cents uh, sent using fountain. Thank you, my friend. That is very, very much appreciated. I'm not sure which um, episode that was in particular. I'll have to go through my data to find that out, but most likely it was the, the last one. So yeah, very much appreciated for that. Um, super encouraging, exciting when we get little messages of support like that. So um, I really do appreciate that. This is, uh, so he sent that using a, a podcasting app and that's basically where I'm, I'm in this weird position now because I'm, I'm spending a bit of time doing these YouTube videos. I've prioritized this. It's not live on the podcast apps at the moment because I've been struggling with some of the technology and, and getting all of that sorted. Um, and so it's kind of hard to like lean into one way or the other. If I got more comments on the on the book reviews, I would love reading them out here as well in, in this section. But obviously I do, yeah, it's it's the hard it's hard to say state where I'm, I'm I'm trying to just test things out and see where people are more inclined to support, whether it's be um, on YouTube comments, whether it be perhaps doing the PayPal where the link is down below, whether it's doing Boostergrams. Um, I'm, I just want some support and feedback back, to be honest, is is what I'm really looking for here. So Dee's Laughs, thank you very much for that. Um, if you want some help with regards to uh, getting some Satoshis, for example, and being able to support the show, uh, there's a big QR code on the screen there, and that'll take you to a link where you can get 2,000 sats, which is the equivalent of, I don't know, like an Australian dollar, something like that nowadays. And uh, that that can help you um, onboard you if you just wanted to know more about the Lightning Network and Bitcoin and those Satoshis that these laughs are sent through. Um, MereModelsPodcast.com slash support is where you can get the best info. I'm kind of rambling here. Um, I think I need to, to fix this section up and, and really have a think about what I'm doing with the channel. and um, because I'm, I'm just not receiving the support that I, I want and I'm, I'm like putting my best efforts out. So uh, I think I do need to, to change things up a little bit. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see about that. We'll see about that. So this is just the, the last section where I just want to say um, there's a value for value podcast. I put all of this value up front um, and I just ask that you return it in, in some shape or form. So you can do that by with your time sharing the book reviews with the uh, a friend, uh, clipping it, doing something like that where you think it'll be helpful in, in terms of um, just broadcasting the message out a little bit. And if you, I, I hope you find these book reviews useful. Um, and I would love to know, um, give me some talent back of, of how I could improve this video wise, audio wise. Do you want more quotes? Do you want more visual elements? Should they be shorter or longer? All these sorts of things would help me make this video and this this book review better for you, this audio better for for you. And I just need to know what what you want to hear and or not want to hear, and and that would very much help me in my process of, of trying to make this better. So uh, then, then the final way of doing that is via some treasure, and just go to that meermortalspodcast.com slash support, and um, yeah, send send in some money via the PayPal. You know, it does cost a lot to have the camera to do the audio to set all this up my time and energy also would i'd love to be 
compensated for that. So uh, that is very much uh, appreciated if you could do any of those things. And um, yeah, like I said, next week's not going to be a book review, but I will go over um, some books of some of the things that I don't read, which is probably just as equally interesting as what I do read. So you might find that useful. And yeah, thank you very much for tuning in. I really do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Ciao for now. Kyron out.